You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. So if you have your copy of scripture, will you stand with me as we stand on the solid rock of God's word together? And we're going to hear these words from 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. So notice this. Notice the heaviness of the story. And they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh. Hannah rose. And now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. Hannah, she, was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, which is interesting. That's kind of like a military term for God. Like, like the Lord who is the commander of armies. Then she goes, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. So we know that little boy that would be born, his name would be Samuel and he would judge the people of God and he would be a great and mighty prophet uh, in Israel. After a time of great silence, the prophetic voice had not been there for a long time. Now, turn, turn, if you will, to the New Testament book of Luke. And we're in chapter 1 there. We see the story of the birth of John the Baptist and its foretelling. Now, notice verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, which sounds familiar, right? Now we're starting to get into more of that Christmas-type uh, language There was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. What an interesting thing to say. Here are two people who love the Lord, are behaving righteously, doing everything right, and yet they're they're, they're not able to have children. And that's the story. But that wasn't the story for long because John the Baptist uh, is coming, and he is the prophet whose voice will shake the Judean wilderness. But now let me take you to a whole other kind of passage. It's the words of our Lord and Savior Jesus, John chapter 14. If you'll turn there quickly. And we're going to finish here today, this morning, on this verse. But I want you to hear this. This is my life verse. This is the verse that perhaps has, has um, changed me more than any verse in Scripture. Notice this. Jesus said to him, he's talking to Thomas, the doubter. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life No one comes to the Father except through me. And that is the ultimate verse on truth and a reminder that truth is Jesus. Let's pray right now. Lord, what a gift you've given us in truth. What a gift we have, Lord, in your name. And today, Lord, we pray that your spirit will fill us and that we will feel your presence here in this room. Show show us, Lord, in our minds. Help us to see in our minds these great truths. But I pray that what you show us in our minds will go down into our hearts so that we can be changed and transformed and made in your image. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. It has been a sweet time for me in recent weeks and months. And uh, the word of God has been powerfully being poured into my heart through what I'm reading and just the great interactions I have with our staff here. I don't know if you know this, but we have a tremendous ministerial and support staff here at Ridgecrest, men and women filled with the Holy Spirit, and they pour into me every day. And it's so good to feel the love and mercy of God, but it's also good to be in a church that believes in the truth of God's Word. 
Our anchor is the word of truth. So let me say something to you here. The scriptures constantly put propositional truth next to mind-blowing miracles. Now, I want to do this. I want to get you thinking this way. Propositional truth is a little bit of a technical term, but I, hold, hold on just for a moment. Let me explain what I'm talking about. In fact, let me show you in the scriptures what propositional truth right next to a miracle looks like. And a good example is Isaiah 7:14. Here's what it says. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign... Okay, so this is something that, a truth, you're going to receive a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So in that verse, we have a promise made, a propositional truth presented, and then we also have the mention of a miracle. And we believe here at Ridgecrest that God speaks to us in terms of truth, but he also is able to work in miraculous fashion. That when God is really up to something good, he takes a group of people like us who are focused on the word of God and serious about doctrine and theology, and then we just say, Lord, just set our hearts on fire. And I know this sounds a little bit uh, out of the realm of possible, but I believe it's very possible that we can be a church that is perfectly balanced between the truth of God's word and being filled with the Holy Spirit. That we come here to hear a word from the Lord and hear the word rightly divided, and we expect the Holy Spirit to show up and start shaking us up. That's my dream for Ridgecrest, that we can be a church where theology is on fire, where our hearts are warmed by the truth. And, it, and it's not just for our minds. This is not about just satisfying our minds and saying, okay, well, uh, now I know more and no more and no more. I want you to know as much as your mind can take, but ultimately you can have a head full of facts and have a heart that's empty and dry. And I don't want that for the people of God here at Ridgecrest. We want to find that middle ground where truth ignites our hearts and helps us to actually believe in the miraculous. This is my heart for Ridgecrest, that we will, in our Sunday school classes, in our small groups, in all the things we do where we're teaching the Word, that we are filled with truth. But brothers and sisters, we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit too. I said to the first service, <laughs> I wasn't trying to give Baptists a hard time or whatever, but, you know, it's kind of funny that, you know, at a Baptist church you're saying we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit because for a long time, Baptists, for many, many years, that wasn't kind of our thing, you know. We, we were really proud of how we preached the Word, but we weren't too serious about the Holy Spirit. But listen to me, I, I wasn't trying to be negative. Someone, someone asked me if I like Baptists. Yes, I love Baptists. I, I love you guys. But I can be critical of Baptists because I are one, okay? So that's just the way it is. Great grammar, right? So now here's the deal. I love being a Baptist, and here's why. Because we can rightly divide the word. We have a tradition that takes the Bible seriously. So we're serious about truth. But if you look closely at our tradition... We have been empowered by the Holy Spirit for about 400 years. There's that 400 again. But for about 400 years, Baptists have been mightily blessed by God because we've taken the word seriously and we have asked God to fill us with his Holy Spirit. And the world today needs a church that has unwrapped the gift of truth. We've been given this amazing truth. Let's unwrap it. And if we will, here's what happens. When we unwrap the gift of God's truth, we will discover that there are miracles inside. And so these sermons are talking about the various gifts 
uh, that we get in Christ and how those gifts are foretold in the Old Testament through these key personalities, all of whom have miraculous births. But the ultimate miraculous birth is Jesus. And these other stories help build anticipation, kind of like those presents under the tree. And when you have the little ones at home, they are looking at those presents knowing that a good day is coming. And that's what the Old Testament is. It's like a bunch of Christmas presents under the tree saying something good is coming and not too long. And church, that's the kind of anticipation that we want but we live in a, in a culture, and the reason why I felt like it was so important for us today to have this conversation about the gift of truth is that many people who were raised in America, even here in the Bible Belt, uh, where, where churches are strong and have been strong for generations, we have a lot of people who are walking away from their faith. One common phrase I'm hearing out there is deconstructing their faith. Deconstructing, walking away from truth. And I want to warn you, this idea of deconstruction is not all that constructive. We can ask hard questions of the scriptures, but when we open our minds and our hearts to the truth of God, it's not going to really deconstruct anything but your sin. What it's going to build up is your hope and your faith and your love and your joy. When we let God's word really speak, now listen, many people get discouraged because, because preachers fail, because churches fail. Listen, that is absolutely true. We are human beings. But listen, keep your eyes on Jesus. Notice that his truths never fail. Notice that he as a person never sinned. Everything you need is in Jesus. And we're not going to be the kind of people that take this wonderful gift from God, Jesus and try to take it back to the store on December 26 and get our money back. There are no returns for this gift. There is only redemption for those in Christ. And when we have Christ in our hearts, we can live for him all of our days. There are a few things I want to share with you about truth today as it pours uh, into our hearts from these two persons. Uh, the two persons, again, we have Samuel and we have John the Baptist. The first thing I want to talk about very briefly is truth-telling is rare and precious. Now, it was very interesting uh, earlier today, you're, you're, uh, Joanna talking about that, the, uh, the, the years of, of dryness where there was no word from the Lord, all these years going on where there was nothing from the Lord. We have two examples of this. With Samuel, um, the word of the Lord was rare in those days. We see that um, in 1 Samuel chapter 3. And then later on here, we're going to see with John the Baptist, the 400 years. There were 400 years between the last prophet of the Old Testament uh, that is in the Hebrew Scriptures and then the first uh, prophet that's in the New Testament. But quite frankly, he really fits more in that Old Testament era. Uh, so John the Baptist is, even though he's in the New Testament, he's like old school. He is the last of the old school prophets. But there was 400 years of distance between the two. Now let's go back to Hannah for just a moment and her prayer there in 1 Samuel chapter 1. If we go back to verses 5 and 6, we see that her prayer is, is predicated on her infertility. And it's interesting that verse 5 and 6 of that same chapter, chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, twice we see that it was the Lord who closed her womb. So in other words, this wasn't an accident, but this was part of God's uh, divine plan. And it took the distress that Hannah went through for her to pray fervently for this boy so that she would dedicate this boy, Samuel, to the Lord. And this dedication of Samuel was the beginning of a change for the people of God. A word that was rare, a word that was sacred and precious, uh, was, was then brought to bear for the people of God. 
And we, when we read through 1 Samuel, we see that God spoke through him in a mighty way, that he, he was used by God to tell the truth to a people who had not been listening to God for a very long time. You know, we see in 1 Samuel 8, 7, this command, Obey the voice of the people in all they say to you. This is the Lord speaking to Samuel. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. So I, I mentioned that verse to you because even when we're speaking the truth, some people don't want to hear the truth of God. But it's important that we keep sharing it. Samuel was a man who was touched by God to share the message of truth, and not everyone was listening. We can expect that today. John the Baptist, he was able to garner great crowds. We read there in Luke chapter 1 the story of his mom and dad as they are um, about to be blessed with the birth of their son. And when John the Baptist came onto the scene, he was a different kind of guy. He looked different. He sounded different. But he had the word of God with him. And for, again, 400 years not hearing the word of the Lord, not really hearing what we might call solid preaching, uh, people didn't know what to do with him, but they listened to him. Here's what I want you to see. In both instances, God's people had to anticipate. They had to wait. Go back to the Christmas uh, illustration there of the present. Uh, anticipating. They needed to realize how desperate they were to hear the word of the Lord. And I'm going to tell you, when we get desperate enough, God will speak. The word of the Lord today may be more rare than we like. There, there may be a, a lot of instances where churches are not really preaching the word. That may be true, and it's not our job to try to fix everybody else, but our job is to make sure that the precious word of God is being powerfully proclaimed here at Ridgecrest Baptist Church, because I'm here to tell you God is not silent. He's not. He's speaking. He's speaking. Even if, if, if no one comes to the altar, I believe God is speaking. What's, what's rare, though, is obedience. We, we sense in the world today the, the, the word of the Lord is out there, but people aren't obeying. Faith is precious, though. And I, I've been trying to communicate that, that to believe in God and his word is a, is, a, is a sacred thing. And I'm also here to tell you that truth is worth the wait. If you are in the business, if you are serious about truth, I want to encourage you to keep searching, to keep looking, because God's Word gives us the perfect truth that we need. I believe it is time for revival here at Ridgecrest. I believe we've been waiting for a long time for God to do a great work. But when He begins to do a great work, it's not easy. And that's our second point. Hard truths are most helpful. Today we have a culture that is not used to hearing hard truths. When we think about a time like this where we gather together and hear the word, the temptation for a person like me is to think first about making everybody feel good and satisfied and, and placated in some way. But that's not what we see with Samuel, and that's definitely not what we see with John the Baptist. We see that when truth begins to start mixing it up, it mixes things up. It challenges our presuppositions, and thus hard truths are often most helpful. I would say they are the most helpful. We need to hear a clear word from the Lord. We do not want to water it down. We don't want to get something diluted. We need the full force of God's word. Let me give you an example from Samuel's life. 
I don't know if any of you have ever preached a sermon before, but when you do it for the first time, it's a little bit intimidating. I don't care if there's 10 people or 100 people or 1,000 people, it's intimidating. If you've ever taught a Sunday school class or teachers in this room, first time you got in front of a, a classroom, it's difficult. Now imagine your first assignment as a teacher, preacher, prophet um, is to get up in front of your mentor and basically say, um, God's going to take everything away from you. So the very first sermon that Samuel preached was a message about what he was going to lose, what Eli was going to lose. Let me tell you why Eli and his family were going to lose. They were going to lose everything because Eli's sons had decided instead of following God's word, they were going to do religion and worship their own way. I don't have time to get into the details, but we see again and again and again, Eli and his sons cutting corners and not following the word of God. And so when Samuel comes on the scene, the very first thing the Lord inspires him to say is, you're doing things wrong, and you've been doing them wrong for so long that now you're going to pay a very big price. It is so sad. When he goes and he begins to preach to Israel in 1 Samuel chapter 7, verses 3 through 4, before David comes on the scene, he has to share with Israel that they are way off track, that they are worshiping false gods, that they are heading towards eternal destruction. These are not easy messages to preach, but all people need to hear hard truths. They need to hear the voice of the Lord. And we need to be careful because in Samuel's story, one of the things we see is a lot of people would have said, now wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Um, you're preaching awful hard to us and we're still going to temple. We're still making sacrifices. Doesn't that count for something? Doesn't being religious count for something? And then we hear these words uh, from chapter 15, verse 22. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. You know, in some traditions, there is a, um, a tradition of just going to confession and, and trying to get everything cleared off of your plate. And so it's more of a, of a ritual. That's, that's how it's viewed. Uh, you do something bad, you go through the ritual, and then those sins are forgiven. But if you talk to people, many times they kind of know that they're going to sin, knowing that they're going to go and then confess. And that's very intentional sinning. And I have to tell you, there, there are no sacrifices for intentional sins like that. It's great that we can go to our Heavenly Father and confess our sins, and He is faithful and just to forgive them. But what we see here is that that problem that I've just highlighted in our world today is not a new thing. Because I believe in Samuel's day, you had the same issue. You had people who were going to go out and do their own thing, um, but they thought if they just made a sacrifice, that would be enough. Now, when we come into the New Testament era and, and John the Baptist as he's preparing the way for the new covenant in Christ, notice what he's doing. He is calling out the Pharisees and scribes and the priests and the people who are making the sacrifices, the people who are the most religious people of their day, and he is calling them out and telling them that they're going through the motions, but they're not experiencing the power of God. That's a hard truth, but they needed to hear it. And I have to tell you today, Many people, even though we don't do sacrifices, and quite frankly, I'm God, glad God took that away, that we don't have to be covered in blood, all right? That, that I don't have to, 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 to slaughter animals every time we worship. Uh, Jesus is the sacrifice. You understand that? That's the reason we don't do those sacrifices is because he is the sacrifice. But I want you to realize that as we, as we think about this, as we realize how do we, 
uh, find ourselves guilty in a similar way as the people in Samuel's day or the people in John the Baptist's day. Well, let me tell you what we do. We, we come to church, we write a tithe check, that's our sacrifice, and we put that in the offering plate, and we assume that that means we are okay with God, that we're squared up with Him, that we've done enough good deeds to make the difference. The hard truth is, is that that's not what God wants from you. He is not wanting you to just be present in this place. He is not wanting you to be present and giving, uh, writing a check or whatever it is. He wants your heart. And when you read Samuel's prophecies and you read the prophecies that, that John the Baptist is preaching, that, that he would have been preaching, that's what he's after. And so I think about it this time of year. There are some people who are, are more active in their worship around Christmas and Easter, and it's easy to take a shot at them and say, you know, that's not enough. Well, let me just say to you, church family, even if you're coming every Sunday, but you're not experiencing Jesus, like we said earlier, on Tuesday morning, right? If we don't have worship on Tuesday morning, there's something wrong with us. That's a hard truth. Coming and getting a little bit of Jesus sprinkled on your life is not enough. The hard truth is we need to walk with him that is every day. And in fact, in these passages, especially the one with Hannah, notice the desperation of the mother's heart. But it's that desperation that leads to a mighty move of God. And very briefly, let me say this. Truth has to be a matter of the heart, not just the head. The Christian message, the Christmas story, is anchored in history. So for those of you who enjoy history, those of you who enjoy philosophy or theology, um, Christianity gives you all the, all the data you want. You can spend your whole life filling your head with truth. But I'm here to tell you that that's, that's, not, that's not the end goal here. Um, being the best at Bible trivial pursuit is not the goal. It's not good enough. Samuel speaks to the people of God, and he's telling them that they need to give their whole heart to the Lord and serve him only. That's in 1 Samuel 7, 3 through 4, which I referenced a moment ago. We need our hearts invested in Jesus and the Gospels. Let me give you a quick story here. Several years ago, I realized that my, my health was not, not going in the right direction. Uh, my blood pressure was higher than it needed to be and some things like that. And it was really a stress of, of ministry, but me not taking care of myself. So I decided I would start working out and go into the gym and everything. And, you know, I thought, man, you know what I want to do? I was still young enough at that time. I wanted to, you know, kind of uh, pump up and blow up and, you know, and have big, bigger arms and a, and a big chest. I thought Jenny would be really impressed with that. She didn't care. Um, and so... Um, I really didn't care about any of that. And so, you know, I was going to the gym and I was working out. And, and uh, we have a, a guy that's a member of our church here that lived in DeSoto for a while. And, and one of his good friends used to talk about, you know, me and, and the, the weights I was lifting everything. And, you know, I was always trying to lift more and more and more because that's what testosterone-fueled men try to do. And then I heard this. I heard this guy talking about, this trainer talking about the difference between show muscle and go muscle. And he said, too many people are trying to get big, but it's not helping them have better lives or, or, or more healthy lifestyles. There's, there's show and there's go. There's what looks good and then what, what makes you feel good and what makes you able to have a healthy life. And I want you to take that idea uh, from the physical to the spiritual because I think that sometimes we are, we are thinking about discipleship in terms of being able to show the world that we know the Bible or that we're right in our beliefs. But here's the deal. The more you get to know Jesus, it's not about you putting on a show. It's about you getting out there and going to where lost people are. The Lord wants to build you up 
not for selfish reasons, not so that you can crow about knowledge, but so that you can go out there and tell the world about Jesus. How about this? It takes a lot of energy, doesn't it, Kelsey, to go to Lesotho? It takes a lot of energy. Um, Get in shape and be healthy physically and spiritually so that you can be an awesome weapon for the kingdom of God so that God can use your life. Be ready to go. Make sure that everything you're doing, whether it's pouring it into your mind or physically making you stronger, have in mind the goal of being a better, sharper tool for the kingdom of God. I believe that's what God is calling us to do. And the only way we're going to do that is when truth gets in our hearts when it's, in, when it's in our minds alone, all we're going to try to do is find a way to look good to God and to others. But when we are filled with the Spirit, oh, it's amazing what God can do. Now, I want to warn you, even when you're filled with the Spirit, it doesn't mean that life will be easy. In Matthew eleven three, John the Baptist has his low point in his life. He's preached and prepared the way for Jesus, and then he's thrown in prison, and he sends one of his disciples to Jesus in that chapter and says to Jesus, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Even he is doubting Jesus. It is hard when life is hard, and only when the truth is down deep in your heart can you hear the word, yes, Jesus is real. People are getting saved. Miracles are occurring. Um, Jesus answers back, yes, I'm the one. Hold tight. Sometimes that's what we're going to hear. And it doesn't mean that we're going to get a free pass on pain. But the only way, church, as we look at the world, and I'm not a fear monger. I'm not going to tell you to look at the, the news today and, and you know, give up all hope. But look at what's happening geopolitically right now all around the world. There are so many things that could, in just a matter of a few hours, turn all of our worlds upside down. There are bad actors that are starting to get a little bit more vocal all around the world. And I'm going to tell you, that will impact what we can do for ministry and missions around the world. I have friends in the very places, in fact, the two places in the world, Ukraine and Taiwan, that right now are in the most danger. I have scores of friends in both of those countries. I have been in their homes. I have worshiped with them in their churches. And I know if things go, go south in the next few months that people we love will be directly impacted. And I know that when we hear things like that, we're like John the Baptist and we're saying, Lord, are we doing the right thing? Lord, what, what, why am I feeling this way? It is okay for us to say from time to time that our hearts are heavy. But we have to make sure that the truth is in our hearts and that all the, 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 um, the things in this world that scare us and cause anxiety, we know that Jesus has them. Let me close with John 14, 6. Thomas was a doubter. I think, and I'm not saying this to be mean to Baptists, but like, if, like Thomas has to be the patron saint of Baptists, you know. Just always asking questions. Just can't go along with it, all right? Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just playing around with you all. Um, Thomas, he asked some good questions, though. But Jesus gives the best answer. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes into the Father except through me. Years ago, I went on a journey, and I don't have time to tell it to you today, but I went on a journey of truth. I was a sophomore, junior in high school, somewhere in that range. I can't even remember now, but I really began to question truth. I was raised in a church like many of you, and someone just kind of hit me with an elbow one day and said, you know, 
Maybe you believe in Jesus because that's what your mom told you to believe and your dad told you to believe and your grandparents believe. Have you ever thought about thinking for yourself? And so, yeah, I thought, well, I was the kind of guy that I wanted to think for myself. I didn't want to think that I was just doing it because someone else told me to do it. That's my personality. I'm kind of weird that way. I'm sure there's a personality test that could show that. But nonetheless, I heard that and I, I thought, I've got to go and look for myself. And so I went and I looked and I searched and I read and I read and I read. And I was a young man, so I wasn't a great scholar, but I was trying to understand what truth was. And I'm going to tell you, John 14, I've, I don't remember exactly how it happened, but one day I saw that verse and I realized that, that, that Jesus is truth, that the gift of truth is the person of Christ. And so today as we finish this, as we've talked about Samuel and we've talked about John the Baptist and their preaching of truth, at the end of the day, they were both just really preaching Jesus or leading us to Jesus. And I'm, I'm encouraging you today, when I'm talking about getting truth from your head to your heart, the only way that's possible is to let Jesus have complete control of your heart. And we call that conversion or being saved. That's the first step. But many of you have been saved for a long time. And it seems like the gift of truth is a, like an old, worn-out gift or one that you've put back in the closet and you haven't got out for a long time. The gift of truth is too precious to put away. It needs to be experienced. So will you allow or open your heart today as the Spirit speaks? There are a lot of truths I can share with you that Jesus lived and he died and was buried and he rose again. Those are propositional truths. Those are things we have to believe to be Christians. But here's the deal. You can't believe that those things were for you unless the Holy Spirit says Jesus is Lord. And if Jesus is speaking to you, the Spirit is speaking to you, saying to you that Jesus is Lord, then come, come to this altar and cry out in faith that Jesus will take away your sins. And he will. He will save you, radically save you. And some of you in this room, you've been radically saved. But your lives are not being lived in radical truth. And therefore, the invitation is for you to come to Christ. Surrender all in this altar. The gift of truth. The gift of truth is what God is offering you this morning. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us, or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.